Today we're going to be doing something a little different. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, the Rebbe's yard set coming up. Today we're going to discuss Rebbe. What is the whole idea of a Rebbe, the whole concept of a Rebbe? We discussed it once in chapter 2, but pretty superficially. We didn't really get into the whole concept of a Rebbe. And basically, Hasidus explains, it says a tzaddik is a reflection of Hashem. A tzaddik are compared to the creator, tzaddikim. So just like when we talk of Hashem, we talk about three different levels. Hashem fills all the worlds. Hashem encompasses all the worlds. And then you have Hashem's core and essence. These are the basic three levels that Hasidus discusses. So too, when you discuss Rebbe, there's also you have the level of Rebbe on the level like Hashem fills all the worlds. Then you have a level which corresponds to the transcendent level. Then you have the core and essence of what a Rebbe is all about. This is the revolution of Hasidus. Hasidus introduced the whole concept of a Rebbe and a Hasid. You know, there were holy Jews before Hasidus, the Arizal, great Kabbalists. But the whole concept of a Rebbe was really one of the revolutions, one of the novelties of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. And it's interesting, right in the chapter 2, right in the beginning, the Alter Rebbe discusses the whole idea of a Rebbe. On a very basic level, and even this is a, quite a revolution. Because it revolutionizes our whole concept of what is the definition of a Talmud Chacham. Till the Baal Shem Tov, we define a Talmud Chacham as someone who is brilliant, professor, scholar, brilliant mind, and he is the Torah scholar, the wise man, Torah scholar. The Talmud says when the person is sick, go to the wise man in your town and let him pray for you. Hasidus says no. The true definition of a Chacham, it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, right in the beginning of chapter 4, and Zayma says, who is a Chacham? Arayas Anoylet. Is that a Chacham who sees the future? That's the literal meaning. Who's a wise man who sees the future? Comes along Hasidus and says, no. You know who's a Chacham? Who sees how the world is constantly being created each and every moment. Hanoylet. He sees how the world is being given birth to each and every moment. Hashem is constantly recreating the world each and every moment. But the world is dynamic and the world is really completely nullified before the divine energy. So who is a Chacham? Someone who has no ego, who is egoless. If you see the godly energy, if you see that you realize that you see it, that your, divine, that your substance is nothing other than the divine energy, then you're, you don't feel separate from God, you don't feel independent and separate from God, you p- feel completely absorbed within God. Your whole being is nothing other than the divine energy that's constantly creating you and sustaining you and bringing you into existence. What are you? You look in the mirror, what do you see? Godliness. Because what are you? What are we? 
we're nothing other than the divine energy that's constantly creating us. We have no independent existence. We can't, we, we wouldn't exist for one split second, for one moment, other than if not for the divine energy that's constantly creating us. So what are we really? We're godly. Our whole being is godly. Our whole substance is godly. Our whole essence is godly. So this is a Jew who's egoless. There's no ego. His whole being is godly. Not only he does Jewish. He thinks Jewish. He speaks Jewish. He's, he's honest. He's a man. His whole being is Jewish. He's not even tempted to do anything else. You're only tempted to do something ungodly if you have an ego. You feel separate from God. So you have temptations and desires to do unwholesome things, self-destructive things, things that are not God and not Jewish. But if you see the divine energy that's constantly creating everything, you see godliness, it's so real to you, then you become completely egoless. All there is, what's your reality? What's the reality that you respond to? You no longer respond to money, power, fame, indulgence. Las Vegas means nothing to you. You're not even tempted. It means nothing. What are you, what, what tempts you? The tzaddik, his whole being is godliness. The only reality to him, he lives, he breathes godliness. That's what excites him. That's what inspires him. That's what moves him. That's all he cares about. And that's the only reality. Everything else is, is just skin deep, superficial, meaningless. So this is the true definition of a chacham. A chacham is really a tzaddik. A godly person. A saintly person. Not the classical definition. The classical definition of a chacham, someone could be brilliant, but he could, he, could have, he could be cold, heartless, egomaniac. As we know, many brilliant people. And they'll be the first one to tell you how brilliant they are. So what, all the Torah scholarship, all the learning, it just fuel their ego. They become arrogant, impossible, look down at everyone else. The exact opposite effect of what Torah should have in a Torah scholar. Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, the ultimate Torah scholar, the first Rebbe. He was the most humble person that lived. Every bit of Torah that he learned refined him, made him more humble, made him more accessible. Versus when Torah has the exact opposite effect in you, you become superior. You suffer from superiority complex and you feel haughty and arrogant and you know, ivory tower and disconnected from then all the Torah learn what did the Torah learning do for you? So Hasidus revolutionized the whole concept of the Chacham. The Chacham was always the center of the Jewish community. Talmud says a person who's sick you should go to the Chacham, go to the wise man to pray for you. He is definitely the role model, the ideal, the center and the focus of the whole community. You can tell a community, you can take the temperature of a community, but you see who their heroes are. Okay, a society whose heroes are people who hold bats and, and hit balls, okay, it tells you something about that society. If, uh, what was a basketball player? Johnson, uh, what was it? What? Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson, okay. This is, this is the caliber, this is the caliber of a community. These are the heroes. Who are the heroes in the Jewish community? Moses, King David, the Rebbe, Shemta, Maimonides, Rashi. This, is, this, is, this, tells you, this tells you everything you need to know about the caliber of a community. What, what's our ideal? What do we look up to? What's, 
who's that, who are our heroes? Who gets us excited? Who gets our pulse? Uh, you know, who, who gets our blood flowing? Who gets us excited? The Chacham. That was always the center, the focal point of the Jewish community. But before the Bar Shem Tev, the Chacham was, was all about scholarship per se. And by the time the Bar Shem Tev came around, scholarship unfortunately became completely divorced from saintliness, holiness, goodness. Scholarship is not holy. You go into any, any university, you're going to find brilliant professors. It has nothing to do with holiness. Aristotle is not holy. Plato is not holy. As brilliant as they were. You can't confuse holiness with brilliance. Now, we're not anti-intellectual or anti-scholarship on the contrary. Every Jewish leader was a brilliant scholar. But in Torah is not like secular scholarship, like philosophy. Torah is holy. You're dealing with the divine. You're dealing with Torah, with the infinite, with the divine. So every bit of Torah refines you and makes you a better person. So all the rabbis, all the were, were brilliant. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, for his Bar Mitzvah, he learned, before his Bar Mitzvah, he learned the whole Mishnayis, word for word. You know, that's what he did at the age of 12. <laughs> you, know, you can imagine what he did at the age of 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. You know, your mind grows, the stakes. So this is the, this is the, the caliber you're talking about. You're talking about the brain power and the caliber. Um, He was once, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was once suffering from uh, some headaches and a cousin of his was a, like a doctor and he went to him and he said, in order for me to help you, you have to tell me everything. So he said, on one condition, I have to swear you to secrecy. You know, I'm telling you private things, I can't. And the Hasidim always tried to get out of him. His name was Fischl Schneers, and what, what did the Rebbe tell you? He couldn't, uh, you know, doctor, patient, uh, privilege. You're not allowed to. But one thing they got out of I think the previous Babaji Rebbe told him I can think about one subject like 24 hours straight. I can concentrate on one subject like 24 hours. <laughs> this is one of the things. I think they got like two, three things out of it. You know, we're talking about the, the brain power. We're not denigrating scholarship. Every Jewish leader, the Jewish leader is called the brain, the head of the Jewish people, the brain of the Jewish people. The brain power is there, and the scholarship is there, and the brilliance is there. But the, the most important part is the holiness, the egolessness. A Rebbe is someone who symbolizes egolessness. And that's why the Talmud says that if you have a difficulty, if you have a, a health issue, go to the wise man in the city and you should pray for him. As we discussed, so why, why go to the wise man in the city? Why should he pray for you? Every Jew prays directly to God. We pray directly. We have face-to-face -face encounter. Every time we daven Shemoneser, it's a face-to-face -face encounter. We have a private audience. We don't need any, why do we have to go to the wise man? So the commentaries say, because if in heaven it was decreed that you should suffer, the decree was only against you. 
In heaven it was decreed, for whatever reason, for your own good, you have to suffer. When you come to the tzaddik, to the wise men, as the Hasidic definition of the wise men, the tzaddik, the saintly person, the godly person, the egoless person, the one who sees how the world is constantly being recreated each and every moment, who sees and experiences godliness and therefore personally becomes an egoless person. This is a person who's selfless. So when you suffer, he empathizes. Your suffering becomes his suffering. He feels your pain and he suffers with you because he's egoless. So therefore, there's no barriers between you and him. The ego is what separates one person from the next. A person cares more about his own pinky than three million people dying at the other end of the world. What do I care? When my pinky hurts, it's the end of the world. But if a person who's egoless and you really feel joyful for another person, a person who's, ego, who's full of ego can't really feel joyful for another person. In the worst case scenario, you can't forgive another person. It bothers you when another person is successful. But it bothers you. But if you're not a person, you're not a, you're not a nishfaginner. You're, okay, yeah, but you don't rejoice. It's not your joy. But if you're an egoless person, the other person's joy is your joy. You're happy for them. And the other person's pain becomes your own personal pain. Now in heaven, they have a problem. Because it was decreed in heaven that you should suffer. It was never decreed that this saintly, godly person, holy person, should suffer. Now he's suffering. Your pain has been transferred to him. Uh, They have no choice. God has to alleviate you from your pain because this tzaddik is suffering. That's why the Talmud says, go to the the wise man in the city if you're suffering. Let him pray for you. Because once he shares your suffering and becomes his, you're going to be cured. (laughs) It's a guarantee you're going to be cured because heaven can cause the tzaddik pain. So this is on the most basic surface, the level of a malikalam and Hashem fills all the worlds. This is, this is logical, it makes sense. This is we understand what a Rebbe is. This is what we discussed already previously. But let's go a little deeper. The word Rebbe itself, everything is in the Hebrew name. Unlike any other language, the Hebrew name expresses the essence of what we're discussing. The name Rebbe is actually an acronym for three Hebrew words. Anyone? Rosh. What? Rosh. Rosh. The head. B'nai Yisrael. The head of the Jewish people. The brain of the Jewish people. So just like we learned at the end of the first part of Tanya, in chapter 51, that the brain, besides being an organ, one organ in the body, the most important organ in the body, it's actually the smallest part of the organism. And this little brain <laughs> leads the whole body. You know, a person should not get discouraged if you think to yourself, how many Jews are there in the world? There's 7 billion people and only 14 million Jews in the world. Within the Jewish people, how many people are observant? How many people take it to heart? And genuine, authentic, take it to heart. And yet, just like the brain is the smallest part of the organism, and yet it runs the whole organism. So the whole world is run by a handful of people. <laughs> a handful of Jews. This is not the protocols of Zion. <laughs> but this is, this is the truth. <laughs> the, the whole world is created and is run a handful of people 
who study Torah, do mitzvot, take Hashem's to heart, a genuine, authentic. And that, that runs the whole thing. That's the whole purpose of creation. Don't look at the huge amounts. Huge amounts. It's not, don't, that's external, that's superficial. The leg is so big. The head is so small. Look what the head contains. I sight and smelling and seeing all the four of the senses. And hearing. And within the head itself, the brain. The smallest. And yet the brain controls everything. So the brain is not only an organ, a vital organ, the most delicate organ, the most important organ. The brain is also the command and control center of the whole body. The brain is the part of the body that senses the whole. That senses that the organism is not a collection of 248 limbs. When you walk down the street, you don't feel like a bag of bones and limbs and, and, and body parts and, uh, and blood and sinus and, and muscle. You're one. You feel yourself as one. One whole, un, undivisible self. Which organism senses that? This sense of wholeness, that we're one, this is the function of, this is the, uh, the function of the brain. The brain senses the soul, senses the whole that's greater than the sum total of its parts. The soul is not a composite. It's not a building block of parts. There's brains, there's brain power, intellect, there's feelings, there's thought, there's speech, there's action, there's seeing. That's not how the soul works. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. And the, whole, the soul contains all of these details. Just like any living organism. When you have a living organism, a tree is made up of many parts. There's roots, and there's the trunk, and there's the branch, and then there's the leaves, and the fruits. And yet, the tree is one living organism. It's one, the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. It's one living soul that has a soul, the soul of a tree, a living organism that expresses itself in all of these parts. But it's one single, undivisible self. So too, the person, the person is a soul, one single soul, undivisible soul. It's not divided into parts. It's not a machine that's made up of two different parts. You can't put the soul together. It's not a mechanical event where you put a machine together, you add different parts, and suddenly you get a moving car, you get a car. The soul is not a machine. It has an engine that moves it. The soul is something from within. The soul is something intangible, it's something spiritual, something... It's one single, whole, undivisible self that expresses itself in all these different parts. To use a human analogy, You can take two paintings, look identical to each other. Literally, externally, mechanically, they look exactly identical. One painting is an original masterpiece, a Van Gogh original. And then you have another painting side by side, but it's a perfect replica, perfect copy. By an amateur who took and copied everything down to the slightest detail, sit and copy. If you took these two paintings side by side, even the biggest amateur will immediately be able to identify and say, this is the masterpiece and this is the copy. How? What's the difference between the two? It's a perfect replica, a perfect copy. And yet, this is the masterpiece and this is the copy. What's the difference? The answer is very simple. What's a painting? 
a real artist. A true artist, a true artist has a vision in his soul, a burning vision. And that vision he pours out on paper, on canvas. In the canvas, in the there's thousands of shades and colors and shapes and forms. But it's not about the thousands of shapes. There's one single whole undivisible vision that expresses itself in all these different colors and shapes. Versus the amateur, he copied. What did he copy? He copied the mechanics. He's like building from the bottom up. It's like trying to build a person from the, body, from the bottom up. Let me put a hand together. Let me put a heart together. You can't build a person. It's not a mechanical event. A soul, a life is not a mechanical event. All the scientists in the world can create the, the life of a fly. Life is from within. Life is, whole, is a soul, is indivisible, it's intangible. And it, it expresses itself in all these different details. That's the master. That's the function of the brain. The brain is the one organ in the body that senses the whole. And therefore, it's the command and control center of the whole body because it instills in the rest of the body, in the liver, in the heart, in every part of the body, that we're part of something larger. It's not just the liver. You're not just the heart. You're not just the toenail. You're part of something larger than all of us put together. We're part of a soul. And that's why the organism is so coordinated. That's why there's such harmony. There's no politics in the body. Even the right and the left get along. <laughs> the conservatives and the liberal, the right hand and the left hand. It's perfect harmony. Zero politics. Because, because it's one. They're all part, they all sense that we're part of something larger than us. And that's what a Rebbe is. Rosh B'nai Yisrael, the brain of the Jewish people. He's like the master artist, the master painter. His faith in Hashem is so vivid, is so alive, it's not mechanical. He lives it, he experiences it, he senses the whole. He sees the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. He senses godliness, he senses the whole. What's the difference if a Rebbe gives a Hasidic discourse, writes a Hasidic discourse, or a Hasid writes a Hasidic discourse? The difference is in the master painter and the amateur. <laughs> when the Rebbe is giving a Hasidic discourse, every word, of course it's words and it's logical concepts and it makes sense, but every word is suffused. It's a masterpiece. Every word is suffused with faith and holiness and godliness because he lives it, he breathes it. It's something from within. And that's expressing itself in these words and these logical explanations, but it's, every word is holy. Versus the chas, it's like the amateur, from the externally. You can, build, you, can build, you can build a building. If you're a scientist, an engineer, you can put pieces together. This, makes, this is logical and this makes sense. And let me put this piece together and that piece together. And you can build something nice, but it's dead. It's a mechanical building. That's all it is. It's dead. It's not alive. The Rebbe is alive. Every word of the Rebbe is alive. Every letter of his, every talk of his, every Hasidic discourse, everything that he does... Because the Rebbe is the Rosh B'nai Yisrael. He's the brain. He's connected to that inner, that sense of whole. And it's the Rebbe that senses the whole. And that instills that sense within us. That every individual Jew should feel and sense that we are part of something larger than ourselves. We're all part of Kalal Yisrael. We're part of the Jewish people. The Jewish whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Although every individual Jew is a world for himself. And even if there was one Jew, God can give the whole Torah just for one Jew. As a matter of fact, God did give the Torah. 
to each and every one of us privately and individually. The Ten Commandments were spoken in the singular, in the Hebrew. I am God, your God. Not in the plural. God addressed every Jew individually. But nevertheless, a Jew is not isolated. A Jew is never alone. We're part of a community. The greatest tzaddik, Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi, had to daven with a minion. Needed nine other Jews to make a minion. To approach Hashem, you need to be part of the community. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. We have to feel that we are part of the Jewish home. And the one who instills that within us, this is the Rebbe. The Rebbe instills in each and every Jew that sense that we're part of something greater. There's a beautiful story that illustrates this idea that a Rebbe is the Reish Bnei Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. Once, one of the Rebbe's chassidim living in, uh, I think in Copenhagen, received a, this is before Pesach, and he received an urgent telegram that he should take matzahs and go to this and this town, this far-flung village in, in Denmark, to give out matzahs. No name was given, no address was given. But the chassid is a soldier, the Rebbe says, go, you go. This is my mission, go. So he took matzahs and went to this in this town. He thought he'll be back, you know, he'll deliver and then he'll be back uh, that same day, the next morning. Comes to town, he asks, please tell me where the Jew is, where the synagogue is. There's no synagogue. Do you know of any Jew? There are no Jews in this town. He goes from person to person, place to place. There's no Jews in town, sorry. It doesn't make sense. The Rebbe sent me here. After a whole day, finally, someone tells him, he says, you know, I think that the chef in the restaurant, in this, in this restaurant, I think he's Jewish. So he walks into the restaurant, he asks for the chef, the chef comes out. He sees the chassid. And he turns white. And he starts crying and he starts hugging him and kissing him. And <laughs> he tells him, I, I'm here, but I have some matzahs for you. The Lubavitcher Rebbe sent me to give you some matzahs. What's the story? He was a child. His parents died in the Holocaust. How did he survive the Holocaust? parents, before they were taken to the camp, gave him to neighbors to save him. Anyway, he grew up in that town. He was the only Jew left in town. And, um, but he always knew he was Jewish. The local gala, the local priest, was constantly pestering him, pressuring him to convert. He said, listen, you're a young guy, you have a whole life ahead of you. You can't marry anyone. Convert. You'll be able to marry a beautiful girl. You'll be able, you'll be able to have children. You'll be able to, you know. At first, when I'm a Jew, but after a while, you know, he's getting older and there's nobody around. And, and he thought, you know what? Maybe after the Holocaust, God killed my parents, six million. You know, maybe, maybe God forgot about us. Maybe it doesn't matter anymore. Jewish, you know, who cares? I'm the only Jew here, I'm all alone, I'm lost. Anyway, 
he's thinking, he's thinking, and finally made a decision. He said, you know, Hashem, he says, God, if you care that I'm Jewish, I'm giving, I'm giving you three days. If you give me a sign that even though I exist, and you know that I'm alive, and that it matters to you that I'm Jewish, but three days go by and then I'm going to take, take the priest's uh, offer. And I'll, I'll move on with my life. He says, Rabbi, he says, today was the third day. <laughs> and it's actually at the end of the day. He says, last night I couldn't sleep. So I, I remember, I remember as a child, my mother would pick me up and kiss the mezuzah and put me to bed with saying Shema Yisrael. And here I was going to cut, cut off my connection to everything. But listen, if God doesn't even know I exist, and he doesn't care about us anymore, and, you know, I'm a young guy, I have to get married, I can't, you know, I can't, uh, so. He says, and then you walk into the star <laughs> with the box of matzah from the Lubavitcher. Just like the brain senses the whole organism. When your toenail hurts, all the nerve system go to the brain. Who senses it? the brain. So the Rebbe sitting in his room in Brooklyn felt every year. It's not only he's a holy person, he has divine inspiration, he has prophecy, and therefore he has mystical ways of knowing things. It's natural. The brain, when that Jew was sitting in that little town, he was hurting, he was crying in pain, crying to Hashem. The Rebbe felt his cry because he's the brain of the Jewish people, he's the head of the Jewish people, and the brain feels the whole organism. And because he feels the pain of every single Jew. Because the Jew who cries is one thing, but the Jew who doesn't cry is really crying even louder. Sometimes the Zohar says the cry is so loud that you don't even hear it yourself. A Jew who's so lost, who's so drunk in materialism, and so caught up in money, power, fame, indulgence, and doesn't do anything spiritual, doesn't do anything godly, anything Jewish, his soul is in such pain. His soul is crying so loud. The pain is indescribable. The Jew who is assimilated, who is lost, who doesn't know anything, the pain is so indescribable. The Rebbe sitting in Brooklyn felt the pain of 14 million Jews, and that's why he sent, and he opened up 5,000 Chabad houses like this one all over the world to reach each and every Jew. No Jew should be left behind. No Jew should be disconnected. Because that's what a, a Rebbe, Reish B'nai Yisrael, the brain, the head of the Jewish people, He's, he's the whole that senses the whole of the Jewish people. And he is the one who instills in each and every one of us, individual Jews, that we as individuals have a responsibility to each other. We can't just live for ourselves. It's not enough for a Jew to live for my own spiritual growth. A Jew has to feel part of the Jewish whole. And part of my life, uh, an essential part of my life has to be, what am I doing for my Jewish neighbor? What am I doing, doing for my Jewish coworker? And my Jewish classmate, my Jewish friend, my Jewish... I have to care about the Jews around me. Am I inviting them for a Shabbat meal? Am I caring about them? Am I... I can't just live for myself because I'm not just for myself. I'm part of a Kuala I'm part of the Jewish. And like we say in Chabad, we only say it once a day. Other Hasidim say it every time before they do a mitzvah. We say it once a day, but we have in mind the rest of the day. We say in our prayers, L'shem Yichud, before Baruch Shamar in our prayer books. 
page uh, 30, we say before we say for the sake of the union of the Holy One, blessed be He with His Shechina, to unite the name Yudke and Vavke in a perfect union. And we conclude in the name of all the Jewish people. And other Hasidim say this before they do any mitzvah. They say this in brief introduction. We say this once in the morning and it goes for all the mitzvah that we're going to be doing the rest of the day. What are we saying? Here we're about to pray. Prayer is very personal. I'm praying to Hashem. My personal needs, my personal connection with Hashem. I should be centered. I should be focused. Before I'm about to do a mitzvah. It's my mitzvah. I'm doing a mitzvah. I'm connecting with Hashem. What do we say? That I'm doing this mitzvah not only for my sake, for my own spiritual growth, my own spiritual connection. I'm doing it for the sake of the whole Jewish people. When I put on tefillin, I'm an ambassador. I'm an agent for the entire Jewish people. I'm putting on tefillin for the entire Jewish people. Who even thinks like that? It's all counterintuitive. We don't think like that. Many people say this, they don't even realize what they're saying, the power of what we're saying. Every time I do a mitzvah, I give tzedakah, any mitzvah that I'm doing, I'm not doing it for my sake, I'm doing it for the sake of the whole Jewish people. I'm representing the whole Jewish people. Just to think in those terms, to realize that I don't just live for myself, and even when I'm doing something for my own spiritual growth, like prayer, it doesn't get more personal than that. And yet, I'm part of the whole. I'm part of something greater than myself. I'm davening with a minion. I'm connected. I'm connected to the Rebbe. That's what a Rebbe represents. A Rebbe represents the sense of Klal Yisrael, the sense of whole. We're part of something greater than ourselves. Because we're part of Klal Yisrael, which includes every Jew that's alive today, every Jew that ever lived, every Jew that will ever live. We're part of a whole. And that's a general soul. A Rebbe is a general soul. He is a soul that encompasses all of the individual souls of the Jewish people, just like the brain contains within it the whole organism. That's why the brain is the command and control center of the whole organism. It senses the whole organism. All the nerve centers go to the brain. The brain is the one who, because the brain senses the soul as a whole, as a whole undivisible self, and all the details are part of it. And you know, when you look at a Jew as part of a whole, it's a whole different perspective. Because when you look at a Jew individually, if the Jew is saintly and righteous and holy and good, fine. But if not, it's a little problem. It could be problematic. But when you're part of the Jewish whole, the whole is always perfect. The whole is always beautiful. That's why whenever we pray, we always pray in the plural. Heal us. If you come to Hashem and say, heal me, Hashem says, okay, let, let's put him under the microscope. Heal him, this miserable creature. He just lied, he just treated, mistreated someone, he just blew a fit and so on. This guy I should, I should heal, out of here. But he says, heal us. Oh, the Jewish people, us, the community. Oh, that's so beautiful, perfect. Of course he'll be healed. So it's, it's a whole, it reorients our whole way of thinking. And this is what a Rebbe does. That's why the Rebbe also pushed so much idea of Mashiach because if a person a Jew is suffering unfortunately there isn't a day that goes by you have hundreds of thousands of Jews unfortunately in the world that are suffering and they shed a tear genuine tear they have problems with Pernasa problems with health problems with uh, with uh, Shalom Bayez peace in the home or problems with our children or with our parents or with our friends or with the business you know thank God there's plenty of problems everyone everyone has their package their pack 
None of us, but someone in Alaska, everyone has their problems. And they shed a genuine tear. But in a way, it's very small-minded. Because you're not the only one in the world that's suffering. You're suffering. Your neighbor is suffering. God Almighty himself is suffering. Moses is still stuck in the desert with his whole generation. So isn't there a better way to daven to Hashem and say, Hashem, bring Mashiach. Because Mashiach will come. And the bigger picture will be resolved. And be the third temple will be rebuilt. And the Jewish people will be restored. And the 630 mitzvah will be restored. And the 7 billion people in the world will all be reconnected. Then our individual problems will all be resolved together with it. So it, it's a way of broadening our perspective. Instead of being so selfish and narrow and I can't see beyond the tip of my own nose and the world begins and ends with me, there's a bigger, bigger picture. And when you include yourself in that picture and you realize your pain becomes part of a bigger picture and your joy is part of a bigger picture. What's the blessing that we say under the chuppah? We talk about the future. This marriage is a reflection of the marriage of the Jewish people and Hashem with the coming of Mashiach when God will consummate His marriage. Because again, anything that happens in our own personal lives, in our own individual lives, is part of a bigger picture. It's not just happening to me. I'm part of a bigger picture. So my personal joy, the raw joy, the most intense joy imaginable, the day when you're standing under the chuppah, is a reflection of the chuppah and Hashem and the Jewish people. My personal pain is a reflection of the general pain of exile. The whole world is in exile. The whole world is upside down. The whole world is kakai. It's unnatural. It's distorted. And that's why the world is in pain. And that's why I'm in pain. Because it's part of a bigger pain. The tzimtzum, the whole world is, is distorted. So that's why the rabbis, the great assembly, gave us one blessing for health. How important is health? The most important. One blessing to earn a living. How important is that? The most important. Most of our time is spent in trying to earn a living. And six blessings for the coming of Mashiach. Because it's a better way to daven for your health. It's a better way to daven for your pain. So this is what the Rebbe instills in us. A sense of the whole. So it, it, it opens us up to a whole new level of reality. A whole new depth. But this is the level of Rebbe corresponding to the second level the transcendent level of Hashem, Seyv of Kalam. But it still doesn't capture the core and essence of the Rebbe. What we discussed till now is the level of Amalek Alman, the logical, the sensible level, a Rebbe is someone whose eagle is, so you want to connect to someone whose eagle is, he's a role model, he inspires us. Then the deeper, much deeper level, a Rebbe is a general soul, a Rebbe is, contains all of the individual souls of his generation, and Mashiach is the general soul of the entire Jewish people. He contains all the souls of every Jew that ever lived and all every Jew that ever will live. That's the Mashiach, the ultimate collective soul, the brain of the Jewish people. And how does the individual organism live? And it's plugged in and connected to the brain. So when you're plugged in and connected to the brain, that's how we are alive, that's how we come alive. If we're just an individual organ, an isolated individual organ, we cease to live. It's only when the organism is connected to the whole and senses that we're part of a whole is greater than all of us put together, then we are truly alive. On the basic level, on the simple level, what is considered a healthy organism? How do we know a person is healthy? If you don't feel yourself. You're unself a healthy person doesn't feel himself. 
when you start feeling yourself aches and pains and you feel heavy and you feel bloated and heavy something is wrong a healthy body is egoless you don't even feel yourself not only a healthy body doesn't do anything wrong a healthy body you don't even feel yourself you don't exist the healthy body is completely nullified before the soul it's light a healthy person is light you don't even feel yourself you walk down the street you don't feel like you're a bag of bones and, and, and muscles and organs a collection you're not a machine you feel light you don't even feel yourself the first sign of illness is when you, when you feel you feel heavy you feel yourself if you feel your organism something is wrong so too spiritually who is considered a healthy person when a person is egoless not only a person who doesn't do anything wrong you can do everything that's right and you're studying Torah all day and you're brilliant you're a scholar but you're so egotistical every second word out of your mouth is I, 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 I you can't get over yourself that's how brilliant you are (laughs) that person is sick spiritually sick He's so disconnected. He's so clueless. He's sick. What's a healthy person? Who's the wise man? The ideal? Who sees how Hashem is constantly creating world, doesn't even feel himself. It's completely egoless. There's no ego, there's no I. Completely nullified before Hashem. So that's on a basic level what a Rebbe is. On a deeper level, that's a Talmud Chacham, a wise man. On a deeper level, a Rebbe is the Reish Bnei Not only is it Tzaddik, not only is it Chacham, but he's the head. And because he's the head, of course he has all other qualities within him. The head has all the qualities, the best qualities. The head is the, is the most vital organ, the most important organ, the most delicate organ. So the Rebbe is also the most brilliant one in the community. The Rebbe is also has all the other advantages also. He's the greatest scholar and he has all the qualities. The head contains everything. The head has all the qualities. But far and foremost, essentially he's a head. He contains everything because he's a general soul. And then come, but still it doesn't get to the essence of what a Rebbe is. Just like when we talk of Hashem, Hashem fills the world, Hashem encompasses the world, but then we talk about the essence of Hashem. So now let's talk about the essence of a Rebbe. And this is what the Alter Rebbe discusses in chapter 2 in the Tanya. Talks about all of these issues are really contained, all of these three different levels are really contained in chapter 2 in Tanya. This whole discussion really belongs in chapter 2 in Tanya. But, <laughs> but this is appropriate to discuss at the 18th yard side of the Rebbe. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh, this Shabbos. What is the essence of a Rebbe? There are many people who don't believe in the whole concept of a Rebbe. What do you mean a Rebbe? I'm a Jew. I speak to God directly. I don't need any... Rebbe? What do I need a Rebbe? What do I need a Rebbe in my life? What's, what's a Rebbe? If I have any questions, I can go to a wise man and ask him questions. Maybe he can teach me a few things, but what is a Rebbe? The truth is, and that's what the Rebbe discusses the idea of a Rebbe in chapter 2, right in the beginning of Tanya, chapter 2. A person who doesn't believe in a Rebbe ultimately doesn't believe in the Jew doesn't believe in the Jew doesn't understand what a Jew is al Rebbe says something in Tanya right in the beginning of chapter 2 and he describes the essence of a Jewish soul and he says that a Jew and this is the most revolutionary statement 
one of the most revolutionary statements in the Tanya of Hasidic, the Hasidic movement, that a Jew, by his very being, he is holy. He's born holy. By his very being, he is God. Which makes no sense. Logically, if you do something holy, you become holy. If you do something saintly, you become saintly. If you do something godly, you become godly. If you sit and meditate, if you do something religious, you do something selfless, you do something that makes you godly, holy, saintly, religious, spiritual. How can you say that a Jew is a Jew is a Jew? By his very birth, the moment he's born, that little baby is holy. Well, if you have any doubt, just ask Hitler. Because he went after that Jewish baby with such a vengeance. He did everything in his power, even sacrificing his own war effort to make sure that that little baby is exterminated. God. And he killed a half a million Jewish babies. He felt so threatened by that Jewish baby. A Jewish baby, just born, an infant. That infant is not a communist. And that infant is not a socialist. And that infant is not a capitalist. A baby. You can't hate a baby. It's impossible. A baby is a baby. Because this Jew, by his very being, his very birth, represents godliness. He doesn't have to do anything. When that professor, self-hating Jew, walks down Park Avenue, the fact that he's born to a Jewish mother, someone who converted halachically, has a Jewish soul, that's holiness walking down the street. He doesn't know it, but the anti-Semite knows it. <laughs> Here's the Jew walking. One of God's chosen people is walking down the street. So someone who has a problem with the whole idea of a Rebbe, ultimately, his problem is not with a Rebbe. His problem is with the whole idea that a Jew, by his very being, is holy. That holiness is not something that's acquired, it's external. It's core, it's essence. Just like Hashem Himself. Hashem Himself, Hashem's core, Hashem's essence is very being. Hashem is, because He is. Not because He does anything. He is, I am who I am, by His very being. So too, God, we're not called the choosing people. We're called the chosen people. We can't choose it. It's not within the human capacity to choose this. But God chose to give a piece of His essence into the Jew that by his very being and his very he's holy he's very so what is a Rebbe ultimately a Rebbe embodies this idea that a Jew by his very being is holy in God and therefore Tanya explained how does a Jew touch the godly spark the pintle yid that's within us how do you touch it? How do you touch that godly spark within us? That pintly. There's only one way to touch it, right? By doing a mitzvah. Every time you do a mitzvah, you ignite the godly spark inside of you. A mitzvah is divine. A mitzvah is magical. It's divine. It's not a ritual. It's not a custom. When you do a mitzvah, when you light a Shabbat candle, something lights up inside of you. A non-Jew lights a candle, nothing happens. Puts on tefillin, nothing happens. When a Jew lights a candle and puts on tefillin, Something happens inside. 
when you study Torah, you're studying the divine mind. It ignites your soul. When you do a mitzvah, you do an act of tzedakah, it ignites your soul. An act of goodness and kindness, it ignites your soul. Well, the Rebbe also has the power to touch your essence, to ignite your soul. Because the Rebbe embodies that essence, the essence of holiness. That holiness is being, the being of holiness. Your whole being is holy. So therefore, when you're connected to the Rebbe, the Rebbe has the power to ignite your essence, to ignite your pintle'id, to ignite that holiness within. That's why Moses says, I stand, he tells the Jewish people, I stand between you and God. But not, he's not an intermediary that divides and separates the Jew and God. That's idolatry. That's Christianity. That's idolatry. Jay says, you come through me. I'm the big boss. You don't connect to God, you're nobody. You come through me. That's arrogance, ego, idolatry. Moshe says something different. Moshe says, I am the one who stands between you and God, but I'm not a divider. Moshe is a connector, meaning there is an intermediary that separates and divides. You have one thing, you have two things, and then you have something in between. But then you have an intermediary that takes two ropes and ties them together and create a knot. But what's that knot made out of? The two ropes. There's nothing else. There's nothing in between. There's nothing separating or dividing the two ropes. Moshe is a connector. There's nothing in between. There's nothing separating. There's nothing interrupting. Moshe embodies the Jew. Moshe embodies Hashem. And he brings the two together. So Moshe embodies that idea of being as holy. The essence of Hashem. That's holy. And Moshe is able to touch. The Rebbe is able to touch. The Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation. Moshe is the first Rebbe and the model of all future Rebbe's. Moshe is able to touch. The Rebbe is able to touch and ignite the godliness inside of us. Inside our very being. And then our being becomes one. Inseparable from the essence of Hashem. There's no separation. And that's why Moshe was jealous of every Jew. Moshe was the most humble Jew that ever lived. How could Moshe, who he himself says, I am the intermediate in you and God, and he's going up to heaven and back and giving the Torah and speaking to God, and yet he's humble? He believes that the simple cobbler and tailor is superior to him? Because Moshe is like a matchmaker. He brings the groom, Hashem, he brings the bride, the Jewish people, brings them together, and he offers free counseling along for the same, same it's a package deal. He, he makes the match, and then he counsels them when, when, when things get rough. But Moshe is jealous, because it's your marriage, it's your relationship. He doesn't get in the way. It's, that's the idea of intermediate, like a matchmaker. There's no, it doesn't get in the way. It's not a block, an interference, and you have to go through me. Moshe connects the essence of the Jew and the essence of Hashem. So the Rebbe has the ability to touch the godliness within the Jew. When you're connected to the Rebbe, the godliness inside of you comes alive, springs to life. And suddenly you are able to connect directly with Hashem. 
So if someone says, I don't believe in the Rebbe, what he's really saying is, I don't believe in the Jew. That person confuses Judaism with religion, like any other religion. Of course, he believes Judaism is the true religion, but it's a religion. I'm Jewish because I look the part, I dress the part, I behave the part. But a Jew is not observant? Ask him, I'll tell you honestly, a Jew is not observant, is not a Jew. Well, what's, what connection does he have? What's the difference between him and the non-Jew? No difference. A Jew studies Torah, looks the part, who behaves and observes. Okay, that's a Jew. But a Jew doesn't, not, doesn't live up to the part. Especially a Jew is completely assimilated, even though it's not his fault. What makes him Jewish? He's not Jewish. No connection. Doesn't even go to Shul and Yom Kippur. Eats Chazer and Yom Kippur. What, what, what connection? What, what Jewish? What Jew? When Jew? So ultimately what he's really saying, if you dig a little deeper, he'll tell you, he'll, be, he'll tell you. He doesn't believe in the whole idea that a Jew is holy, his very being is holy, his very essence is holy. So this is the essence of what a Rebbe is. And that's why the Alter Rebbe, right in the beginning of Tanya, chapter 2, immediately he launches at great length in describing what a Rebbe is. Because if you understand what a Jew is, you understand what a Rebbe is. You understand that a Jew, but his very being is holy and godly. And that's the reason Hashem said a Jew should not intermarry. Not because the non-Jew is not a beautiful person. The person non-Jew could be the most beautiful person in the world. Intelligent kind, talented, physically beautiful, spiritually beautiful. It's not a marriage. Torah doesn't consider it a marriage because marriage is a soul connection. It's a core connection. You can't connect a Jew with a non-Jew. It just doesn't work. It, it, it's superficially it works, but, but if you're talking about soul connection, marriage is a soul connection. It's not just a body connection. It, it just doesn't work. It's, it, it's like a heart. You can't transplant a liver with a heart. It doesn't work. A liver is a liver and a heart is a heart. They're both integral. They're both vital. You can't live without one. You can't live without the other. You need both. Hashem needs every single human being that's alive. That's why Jews don't try to proselytize. Because you don't have to be Jewish to connect with Hashem. But it's not a marriage because marriage is core. Marriage is essence. Two essences coming together. But ultimately, if you don't understand what a Rebbe is, it means you don't understand what a Jew is. So just like when you study Torah, when you do a mitzvah, it has the power to ignite the neshama inside of you, the godliness inside of you. The Rebbe has that power. The Rebbe has that ability. Because he embodies that being of holiness, the essence of holiness. The Rebbe has the power to touch you in the deepest way. By being connected to the Rebbe, being devoted to the Rebbe, by loving the Rebbe and being connected to the Rebbe, the Rebbe has the power to awaken within you and to ignite that spark. And it feels so natural. Because it's your spark, it's your essence, it's your, there's no, it, there's no barriers. The Rebbe doesn't get in the way. It's not, I stand between you and Hashem, I'm interfering with your connection. On the contrary, the Rebbe brings the two ropes together and he makes a knot. So that knot is the, is the intermediate. But what's that knot made out of? It's made out of the two ropes, there's nothing else. All there is is Hashem and you. There's nothing else. No one gets in the way. It's a direct connection. It's person to person, it's personal, it's individual. 
So the Rebbe embodies, in simple words, the Rebbe embodies the idea of a personal God. And many mystical and many different uh, religions and mystical, but they don't believe in a personal God. There's energy and there's infinite and there's Judaism, ultimately, it's all about a personal God. I am the, your God, your God, personal, who took you by your hand and took you out of Egypt. I am your God who is taking you out of your own personal problems and challenges and difficulties. It's personal. The whole story of the Jewish people, it's personal. God married us, is intimate with us. It's personal. He chose Abraham, he married us. The whole story of the Jewish people, the Jewish people survived for 3,800 years against all odds. It's personal. It's personal divine providence. It's not this abstract, infinite energy we're plugging into universe, universe, and therefore, since we're all universal, everything goes and everything is beautiful, and why make distinctions and why make, why make distinctions? It's very personal. It's very intimate. Like marriage. It's very personal and it's very intimate. And the Rebbe embodies that personal relationship that each and every one of us has with Hashem. So again, a person who has a problem with a Rebbe, ultimately, there's something lacking in that person's personal relationship with Hashem. It's not, he doesn't get so intimate with Hashem. It's, it's a little cold, a little more separate, a little more, you know. But if you really want to get personal with Hashem and take your relationship very personal and get very intimate, then you understand what a Rebbe is. Because that's what the Rebbe embodies. He personalizes our relationship with Hashem. Makes it so real for us. And you see how the Rebbe cares for you. And this is the beginning of Judaism. It says when Avraham, one of his first encounters with Hashem, it says Avraham looked at the world and he saw the parable is a person looks at a palace and he sees the palace is on fire. He looked at the world, he saw the chaos in the world, he saw how primitive people are, how pagan people are, how backwards and cruel and vicious people are. He looked at this beautiful world that Hashem created and he said, the palace is on fire. There's nobody around. There's no, there's, where's the owner of the palace? There's nobody around. No one is caring for the palace. God created the world and he let the world go. Look, look, who's, running, look who's running the ship. A bunch of crooks and criminals and lowlifes and, and Mafiosi, look how cruel society was. Look how cruel people were. Look how cruel society was. And backwards and distorted and crooked. And the Medrash says, the owner of the palace stuck his head out. And he says, what do you mean there's nobody? I am the owner of this palace. So Hashem responded to Avram. He responded to Avram. He revealed himself to Avram. He says, I am the owner of the palace. Don't think that this palace is just running on itself, automatic pilot. It's my palace. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand what my grand plan is. But I am the only. It's very positive. The question is, Avram was bothered by a question. The palace is on fire. Did Hashem address himself to this question? Did Hashem answer his question? Not even a clue, not even a hint. He just stuck his head out and says, I am the owner of the palace. How does this answer Avram's question? The answer is, of the divine providence. Hashem responded to Avram. Avram had a problem. Avram was, something was bothering Avram. The fact that Hashem felt his thoughts, 
And Hashem personally responded to Avram's dilemma and puzzling and questioning. That's the answer. You see that Hashem is telling him, I, see, I know everything, I see everything, I feel everything, and I'm responding to everything. Something is bothering you, and I'm responding to you. It's personal. It's, it's a personal connection. This world is not ownerless. This world is not... The Rebbe embodies the whole idea of a personal God. That Hashem cares for each and every one of us personally. Divine providence. Everything is divine providence. And Hashem is sending us messages. Everything that we see, everything that we hear is a message. Hashem is constantly guiding us every step of the way. Today's Ayyemim speaks about opening your eyes and seeing the divine providence in your own personal life, in your business life. Everything that you do, you see how Hashem guides us. If you open your eyes, remove the blinders. Hashem guides us every step of the way. And we're not alone. And Hashem is with us. That personal touch, that's the essence of Judaism. That, that's personal. It's not abstract, spirituality, meditation. It's very highly personal. It's individual. And this really gets to the guts and the essence. And that's what the Rebbe embodies. The Rebbe, the personal touch, the personal, that Hashem cares about each and every one of us. I'll just concludes a beautiful story with the... Uh, there was a Jew in Europe, Eastern Europe, who couldn't pay his rent. That was a daily occurrence. He couldn't pay his rent. <laughs> he was an innkeeper. He couldn't pay his rent. In the olden days, if he didn't pay your rent... It's not like today. Today, if you don't pay your rent, the landlord goes to jail. <laughs> in Eastern Europe, if you don't pay your rent, you ended up in the dungeon and you ended up in jail. And he had nothing to pay and the, the, uh, the uh, landowner sends his uh, police. They came and they smashed his whole house. They destroyed his whole house and said, if you don't pay by tomorrow, not only did you lose your whole house, you and your family are going into the dungeon. This was the Shabbos, the great Shabbos it's called, the Shabbos before Pesach. The Jew, his house is ruined, the Shabbos is ruined, his house is destroyed, he's about to land in the dungeon, he's going to have the Seder in the dungeon. Nothing to lose, so let me go into town to hear the Shabbos Agadol sermon of the great rabbi, the after of the rabbi. Let me go hear this sermon. So he walks into the shul, as he walks in, he hears the after of a Hasidic rabbi, a great Hasidic master, and he he says the following. He says, he asked the question. Sometimes we say, Go al Yisrael, that Hashem redeemed us in the past. But then we say, Go al Yisrael, Hashem is redeeming us in the, in the present. By the end of the blessing before the Shemun yesterday, we say, Go al Yisrael, in the past God redeemed us. But in the Shemun yesterday, we say, Go al Yisrael, in the Shemun yesterday itself, Hashem redeems us in the present. Why? So he says, because it's not only Hashem redeemed us in the past. Because sometimes you have a Jew, an innkeeper, who can't pay his rent. And the non-Jew comes and destroys his house and threatens him that if he doesn't pay, he's, he and his family are going to end up in the dungeon. So, so Hashem is telling us, relax. Not only God, Yisrael, in the past, God redeemed us from our own personal problems. In the present, God is going to redeem you, don't worry. When the Jew heard this, he got the chills. The Rebbe doesn't even know him. He walks in the door, and the Rebbe is like talking directly to him. He, knew, he was the only one in the crowd who knew what the Rebbe was talking about. <laughs> he immediately ran home, 
and he told us, gather this family, and he said, that's it, there's nothing to worry, the Rebbe said, Goyal Yisrael, and they started dancing with tears streaming down their face, that's it, the Rebbe says, nothing to worry, Goyal Yisrael. And meanwhile, the landowner was very curious, because this Jew, he happened to know for 30 years, he rented the inn, and he knew the Jew fell in hard times, and he was just curious how the Jew was responding, they just came, his hooligans just came and smashed his whole house. So he sent send to go see how the Jew... So they, they come back and he said, you know, we think the Jew went out of his mind. <laughs> we think the Jew went insane. He went mad. What do you mean? He's, him and his family are dancing around. They're dancing and joyful and dancing around the broken table and dancing and joyful. Obviously, he went out of his mind. He went insane. He just couldn't take it. You destroyed his whole home. You destroyed his... When he heard this, the landowner's wife was sitting there. She had such mercy. He says, come on, have pity. Look at the guy, the poor Jew. He went out of his mind. He can't handle it. Give him a break. Makes, come to terms with him. So he immediately calls, calls the Jew and he says, don't worry about what you owe in the past. It's all forgiven. And uh, I'm not going to tell this to your, 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 your attendants. <laughs> and uh, and uh, from now on, I will give you rent-free for the next year. I'll give you some time to get your act together. So, but the idea, this is what a Rebbe embodies. That this Jew was suffering, but the moment he realized, he's not alone. Hashem felt his pain. And he got that personal message. It's person to person, it's personal, it's intimate, it's real. It's, Yiddish guy touches your essence, it touches your core. Hashem is with you every step of the way, 24-7. It's a personal relationship. This is what a Rebbe embodies. This gets to the essence of what a Rebbe is all about. So in the schus of Gimel Tammuz, 18 years, chai, believe it or not, chai, life, you know, so being connected to the Rebbe ignites the essence, the pintle yid within us, ignites, makes our Yiddishkeit, our Jews, a chassid who's connected to the Rebbe, is alive. His Yiddishkeit is alive. The spark within him is alive. And his Torah study is on a whole different level. His ego lives. The Jew is kind and selfless and doesn't just think about himself, even his own spiritual growth. He feels part of the Jewish whole, dedicates his life to help another Jew, goes out, the shluchim go out all over the world. Beit Chabad House is a place where every Jew can feel welcome and feel at home and feel comfortable. And um, the Rebbe's the one who taught us to love every other Jew unconditionally. And surely this will, this is a prayer. Every time we do an act of goodness and kindness, it's really a prayer to Hashem. That Hashem should do the same for us. We're waiting for Hashem to take us in, in His Chabad house. Because as of this moment, Hashem is homeless. We are all living comfortably, and Hashem is homeless. His temple is destroyed. So it's time for Hashem to build the Chabad house, the ultimate Chabad house, the third temple, and let Him host us in His home, and take us in with the same warmth, and make us, every Jew feel welcome and comfortable just like every Jew feels welcome and comfortable in the Rebbe's home in every Chabad house around the world and we should celebrate this Gimel Tammuz we shouldn't have to have a yard site but instead we'll celebrate the reunion with the Rebbe and the reunion with all the Rebbe's and Moshe Rabbeinu will be there and Aaron will be there and of course the next lesson in Tanya will be given by the Alter Rebbe himself <laughs> we'll, be sitting, we'll be sitting in Yerushalayim